Welcome to the Altruistic Libertarian, Advocate for a Generally Free Society. I'm Anthony Wheeler, and today we review more bad business, specifically public education. Education is arguably one of the most important industries within a modern society. Literacy rates and the ability to work within a technological environment mark the difference between a healthy society and one that might struggle. Given that an educated populace is key to economic growth, political stability, and social health, it's not surprising that the government was initially tasked with providing it. It seemed too important to be left to chance to, or the whims of private individuals. The government would ensure that children were educated and educated to standards set by the politically wise. Perhaps this argument held at one time, but today, private entities within modern society are perfectly capable of providing education for everyone at every level. And given the importance of the task and the proven ineptitude of the state in managing schools, freeing education from the shackles of the and that currently bind schools, teachers, and students, and allowing creative and motivated individuals and institutions to take them over would greatly enhance the quality of education for everybody. Public schools are administered and staffed with state employees. Teachers' unions are powerful and ubiquitous. Like any government agency, little incentive exists to improve performance or innovate. Maintaining the status quo is paramount. Efforts for incremental improvement, let alone radical change, are quickly stamped out. Young teachers with ideas quickly get suppressed and frequently, and frequently burn out. They either conform or they leave. As a personal example, while living in a small town, my youngest daughter attended the local school as a seventh grader. Within a month, she asked me to take her out of school and provide homeschooling. She had been homeschooled for, in her third grade year. Given her special needs, I subsequently met with all of her teachers, one at a time, to discuss what could be done to address those needs. Promises were made, but after three months, only one teacher had fulfilled them. At that point, I met with the guidance counselor. He suggested I speak with the principal, which I did. With half the school year left, we devised a plan where my daughter would finish 7th grade and be given an additional material to cover 8th grade and then she would start the next year in 9th grade. By the end of the year, only one teacher, a first year idealist science teacher, followed through and provided my daughter 8th grade science every week in one of her study hours. I confirmed with the school that they still intended to enroll my daughter in ninth grade come the following August. At this point, my concern was acute. Either the content of eighth grade was, was immaterial to her later academic success, or she would be starting ninth grade far behind given the lack of effort the school had made to bridge the grades. The final decision was made one day when my daughter told me that they, they were going to see a movie titled Ulysses. When she asked the English teacher why someone would make a movie based on the novel by James Joyce, the teacher didn't understand the question. At that point, I conceded and took my daughter out of that school and homeschooled her for the next four years. She obtained her GED, scored in the 99th percentile of the ACT, and graduated near the top of her class from a private university. In the end, the local school didn't have the resources, the incentive, or the creativity to attend to my daughter's needs. Exceptions exist. 
Pockets of excellence reside within individual institutions and occasionally encompass an entire school. For example, as a local employer, I met several young graduates from a, the small town school who went on to, to obtain advanced degrees, so it was possible to acquire a good education from the school I removed my daughter from. As an industry, education should be measured by cost and quality. How much does it cost to educate a student in a particular program? What level of knowledge and skills does the person gain after completing the program? How well are they socialized? By all accounts, public graduate, graduates in the United States rank very low among Western countries. For example, and I quote, In 2015, there were 18 education systems with higher average science literacy scores for 15-year-olds than the United States, 14 with higher reading literacy scores, and 36 with higher mathematics liter literacy scores, unquote. By any standard, the levels of literacy, math skills, and social knowledge for a large percentage of American teens are embarrassingly low. At the collegiate level, state universities accept large numbers of students unprepared for advanced study. Open enrollment programs don't discriminate. A large percentage never graduate. Quote, only 52.9% of students who enrolled in U.S. colleges and universities in the fall of 2009 completed school within six years, according to the National Student Clearinghouse, unquote. Given the artificially low cost of state-owned universities and the low entry standards, far too many people are in in incented to attend college. Instead of working and contributing to society, students must be supported during their studies, either by family or the state. For those who leverage their college education to contribute at higher levels later in life, engineers, business, science, teaching, the investment, both for themselves and society, justifies the investment. For those who never finish school or are unable to find work commensurate with their degree, the years in college count as mostly wasted. The situation is exacerbated by the graduation of too many people in any given year, creating a supply of overeducated people greater than, than the demand for their services. This allows companies to require a college degree for entry-level positions, even if advanced education is not necessary. As it stands, owning and operating public universities, subsidizing student costs through low tuition and student loans, creates a surplus of overeducated people. Balance doesn't exist between the value of obtaining higher education and the cost to get it. The explicit cost is borne by the taxpayer, the opportunity cost by society as a whole. State universities are supported by state taxes. As such, there is no correlation between a potential student's demand, how many wish to attend, and capacity in terms of classrooms and staffing. Too much capacity means waste. Too little capacity means a budget crisis. This happened to my eldest daughter. After attending university in two years in New York, she moved back to California, intending to transfer to a state university. Unfortunately, due to budget constraints, the local state universities were not accepting out-of-state transfer students, no matter how well qualified. After two years doing clerical work, she was accepted as a rare transfer student at a local private university after her sister, the one homeschooled through high school, was accepted as a freshman. This was ironic because the older sister began ninth grade 
in a public high school in a very well-regarded well school district. I had the means to buy into the neighborhood and the youngest in the local public grade school. We had attempted to get both daughters into the local charter school, but the wait list was too long. Both daughters had been homeschooled the year before, third and eighth grade, in California, and given the turmoil I created for them, I vowed that they would begin and end the school year in the same school. During routine testing, the oldest daughter tested in the gifted range, but failed the state history test. As a result, after just two weeks of school, the oldest daughter was expelled from high school and put back into eighth grade, even though she had passed English, math, and history. Family crisis ensued. We returned to the local charter school and based on the circumstances, my daughter's test scores, and the custom design of the school, she was accepted. Interestingly enough, because the charter school didn't have advanced courses of any kind, they had partnered with the local community college. After passing the community college entrance exams, my oldest daughter was taking college courses as a high school freshman, one each semester for two, two school years. At the mid-year break, my youngest daughter, still in the public grade school, decided she wanted to attend the charter school as well, so we applied. Based on their having accepted the oldest daughter, she was accepted and transferred after the Christmas break. So neither daughter began and finished the same school that year. Secondary public schools are usually supported by property taxes. Students are required to attend the schools in their district, resulting in poor neighborhoods with poor schools and better schools in wealthier districts. Everybody who has children and cares about their education and moves to a new city knows this. For those kinds of parents, the quality of local schools is a realtor's best selling point. In general, Parents don't have any choice about where their, chil their children attend school unless they opt out of the public system altogether. This leaves parents who can't afford to purchase in better neighborhoods no choice but to send their schools to the mediocre or worse public schools, no matter how much they care about their children's education. Milton Friedman introduced the idea of education vouchers several decades ago. Parents in need or perhaps all of them, would receive education vouchers that could be used with any accredited school. While vouchers offer some form of choice, where parents can use their educational vouchers at any accredited school, this still leaves a traditional infrastructure in place, one highly resistant to change or innovation. As for parents who wish to opt out of the public school system, they are faced with two principal options, private institutions or homeschooling. Out of the approximately 54 million school-aged children, about 5.4 million attend private schools. Another 1.77 million children are homeschooled for a total of almost 8 million children, or 13.4%, currently being educated outside the public system. In each case, their parents are paying twice to educate their children. First, in the taxes they pay to support public education, and secondly, bearing the full financial burden by sending their children to private school or keeping them home and educating them themselves. Parents take their children out of the public schools for various reasons. Most of the private schools are parochial, with some 80% of privately educated students attending such schools. In most cases, these schools provide their students with an excellent academic experience, another incentive for parents who care about the quality of their children's education. In other cases, 
parents may choose private schools more culturally or socially suitable for their children or ones that offer special programs in the arts, say. Finally, some parents may feel their children would be better off schooled at home, despite the challenge of providing a broad range of topics and skills necessary to complete their education. All of this speaks to the shortcomings of the public school system. Despite having an option to educate their children for nothing, their taxes compulsory, many people are willing to forsake the public school system and opt for an alternative. Additionally, the prominence of these options demonstrates the ability of a free society to provide educational services without intervention by the government. Some people think education too important to leave to chance, that is, the freely made decisions within a communities across the nation. But those same people don't worry about finding bread in the markets. Seemingly miraculous, the government doesn't own wheat fields and processing plants and supermarkets. It's always there in many, many forms which people can choose, freshly made just about every day. Uh, and bread, and food in general, is certainly a more fundamental need than education. Freely acting individuals ensure that farms produce the grains, vegetables, and meat that we need. Processing companies package and ship to local grocery stores where the consumers select and leave with the items that they want. The same would happen if education were freed from government ownership and control, but at much lower cost and much higher quality than we experience today. The public ed education system is designed to inculcate societal values within the mass to shape and mold each student into a good, obedient, abiding citizen. Most people submit mindlessly to this process and little harm comes to them. For those who stand out though, or don't fit into the basic mold, school can be a painful, denigrating experience as they feel the stress that comes with being the square peg pounded relentlessly into a round hole. Sometimes the process works and their edges become suitably rounded until they resemble everybody else. Other times they break all together and simply drop out. Quote, it is important that the artist should be highly educated in his own art. But his education is none that is hindered rather than helped by the ordinary processes of society which constitute education for the ordinary man. For these processes consist largely in the acquisition of impersonal ideas which obscure what we really are and feel, what we really want, and what really excites our interest. It is of course not the actual information acquired, but the conformity which the accumulation of knowledge is apt to impose that is harmful." Unquote. One of the ways that public education teaches conformance is through state-approved textbooks. These textbooks must conform to sanitized versions of American history and treat potentially controversial subjects like evolution in specifically approved ways. Test standards are also quite specific to the point where teachers are strongly encouraged to focus on getting students to score well. This is referred to as teaching the test. The public education system is mired in mediocrity, or worse, teachers that can't be fired, curricula that is conservative and outdated, infrastructure in poor districts in dire need, and classroom disruptions that prevent learning all contribute to disturbing results. Poor average test scores, low literacy levels, some 20% of students failing to graduate high school, and too many college-bound students unprepared for higher education. Aside from the dismal record and the high cost of public education, what is more difficult to discern is what the alternative would be. If, 
the education industry was unshackled from government ownership, what innovations would come about? What myriad of educational op options would emerge? And at what cost? With the size of the demand and the state of technology, it's impossible to predict what would evolve, except to note with assurance that an education industry free of government intervention would be dynamic, creative, cost-effective, and diverse. Parents and students would have choices. Those choices would manifest into various options that simply don't exist today. Some would work better than others. Over time, the superior, superior alternatives would gain prominence given the ubiquity of online feedback so prevalent today. Who purchases anything significant without finding out what others think of it? As to transitioning to private ownership of schools, one possibility would be to incorporate. Identify school district assets, buildings, property, vehicles, cash, debt, goodwill, and create a corporation of some kind. Issue shares in the new corporation and divide the shares among permanent administration and teaching staff, perhaps proportionally to their salaries. Share owners would vote for board members and then decide how to run the school or sell off assets. All shares would be tradable and the new school corporation could manage the school as they desire with authority over tuition, staffing, curricula, and scholarships. The incorporation of school districts in conjunction with education vouchers would allow a relatively seamless and painless transition to high quality education, more choices for parents and students, and lower costs. Well, that concludes our show for today. In the next episode, we fin finish our review of more bad business with a look at the U.S. Postal Service. Until then, peace.